You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Suleiman, let's meet the firsts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi as-samir ayyman ash-shaytan rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wal-udwani illa ala al-zalameen. Wal-aqibatu lil-muttaqeen. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa baraka ala abdika wa rasulika Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira. Inshallah ta'ala dear brothers and sisters, tonight we will continue and finish the story of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, our mother, may Allah be pleased with her. And you know, this part of her life, a few people asked me, so what are we doing next? They didn't realize there's another lecture after last week's lecture when we talked about Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. But this part of her life is very interesting because it's after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and it actually makes up the majority of her life. So to give you some perspective, when the Prophet ﷺ passed away, she would have been around 20 years old. She would live for a full five decades, up to 50 years after the Prophet ﷺ. So the majority of her life is after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. The vast majority of her life proportionately is her life after the Prophet ﷺ. But her entire life basically surrounds that decade that she had with the Prophet So she spent one decade with the Messenger and everything afterwards is about extending the legacy of the Prophet And you start to see how the love story now unfolds. Now when the Prophet passed away in her house, that home was still going to be a centerpiece of Medina but now instead of the Prophet ﷺ coming out of that home to meet the people, it is Aisha anha teaching from that home all of the things that we knew about the Prophet ﷺ and did not know about the Prophet ﷺ in a way that we could love him even more and appreciate him even more. But subhanAllah, you know, in all of the narrations uh, about the Prophet ﷺ and her in Jannah together, because remember, Jibreel told the Prophet this is your wife in this dunya and in Jannah. This is going to be your wife in this life and in the next life. And the Prophet used to say that to, Khadid, to, to Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha to give her the glad tidings of that. And she's the only wife other than Khadija radiallahu anha who Jibreel would send his salam to. So she has all of these glad tidings. But do you remember the part where the Prophet is passing away and she, she says that I realized at that moment that he's not going to choose us. There's such a profound narration in Muslim Imam Ahmad where the Prophet said, لَقَدْ رَأَيْتُ عَائِشَةَ فِي الْجَنَّةِ كَأَنِّي أَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ بَيَاضِكَ فَيْهَا لِيَهُوَّنُ بِذَلِكَ عَلَيَّ عِنْدَ مَوْتِي so I'm going to say it again. لَقَدْ رَأَيْتُ عَائِشَةَ فِي الْجَنَّةِ كَأَنِّي أَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ بَيَاضِكَ فَيْهَا لِيُهَوَّنُ بِذَلِكَ عَلَيَّ عِنْدَ مَوْتِي So he says Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in this narration that I was shown Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha in Jannah, my wife in Jannah, and I saw the inner of her palm 
so that that would make it easier for me at the time of my death. Meaning the Prophet is also being given the glad tidings that she's going to be with him, which shows you that the Prophet as he's parting from this world, he also has this deep love for the people that he's leaving behind Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala is giving him the glad tidings to settle him as well Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that all of these people that you're leaving behind, especially your most beloved Aisha radiAllahu Ta'ala Anha, they will follow with you to Al-Jannah. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala make us amongst those people that join our Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Al-Jannah. And in that there's this discourse that the scholars mention, that the Prophet chose Al-Jannah, he chose Al-Rafiq Al-A'la. And the Prophet as he chose the highest companionship, one of the things that you see as a consistent theme from the Prophet going to that next realm until we join him ta'ala, is that every single moment of the Prophet is going to be a source of blessing for us and intercession for those who come after him وسلم, until we meet him at his hawb. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be amongst those people. Allahumma ameen. So with Aisha, the specific comfort that's given to the Prophet that you are coming with me and the specific glad tiding to her that this separation is only a temporary separation of this dunya was something that would nurture her for the next five decades of her life. Now remember the dream where she had the three moons fall into her home? She says, that my father Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu came to me after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he reminded me of that dream that I had. The dream was what? That three moons came into my home. Three moons came into my home. And Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that the best three people in this world, khayru ahl al the best three people in this world are going to be buried in your home. And after the Prophet passed away, Abu Bakr anhu comes to me and he reminds me, he says, Khayru akmaraki ya Aisha. The best of your moons, oh Aisha. The best of your moons. Remember that dream that you had? This is the best of your three moons that was just buried in your home. The Prophet living next to her. So imagine living in that house where she shared all of those memories and she used to wait for the Prophet to come home and now he's buried next to her. You know, you think about painful separation and going to the grave of the loved one. Imagine when he's right there, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his body, and how many times she, she must have replayed over those five decades, all of those moments with the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And when she's sharing the over 2000 ahadith about him, she's sitting right next to his grave Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And all of the time she has to relive the last moments of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's all there right next to her radiallahu ta'ala anha. So she's in that home and the Prophet has been buried in her home. And then comes the life of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu as Khalifa, her father. And she narrates to us the final moments of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anha. She lost her mom, Umm Rumman radiallahu anha. She lost the most beloved sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And now Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu is passing away. And Abu Bakr anhu wakes up and it is a Monday and he's 63 years old and he realizes that his death resembles the death of the Prophet exactly as he remembered it. So he's asking Aisha, how old was the Prophet when he passed away? 
So Aisha radiallahu anha says, 63 years old. He says, Alhamdulillah. He says, and what day did he, did he die again? It was a Monday, Alhamdulillah. And what was he wearing? This is what he was wearing, the three cloths. So Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu literally dresses himself in the exact same cloth as the Prophet sallallahu when he passed away at the age of 63 years and lays down and waits for his death to come to him radiallahu ta'ala anhu so that he be buried and his head radiallahu anhu is right to the shoulder of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. SubhanAllah. So imagine Aisha when she walks in that room, the feeling, and this is her home. She lives in that home now. And the Prophet was the first moon. And Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was the second moon. And now comes the third moon. Now here is the thing. Imagine being her and then being asked to give up your grave next to the Prophet and Abu Bakr, her father. This is going to be one of the greatest acts of generosity that you'll ever find from her. She had now prepared herself for death and she had in her mind and in her intention that she's going to be buried right next to the Prophet and Abu Bakr, her father. And it makes sense. And that's the expectation. And there is nothing that would alter that except for an incredible intervention. Now what happens? Umar bin al-Khattab is passing away and he says to his son, he says, oh my son, Abdullah, go to Aisha and ask her for permission if I can be buried next to the Prophet Sallallahu and Abu Bakr. Remember, the whole scene in Medina was always the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Abu Bakr and Umar, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Abu Bakr and Umar. So it's only poetic, it's only right that those three were always together walking amongst the people in Medina, that they now be buried together in Medina. But listen to what Umar anhu says. He says, don't pressure her. Simply make it as a request. Do not pressure her. And in fact, Umar anhu is putting this extra layer. He's saying, ask her if she's sure. And then you go after and ask her again if she's sure, if she says yes. So Abdullah comes to Aisha and Umar anhu was dying after being stabbed. And he says to her, that my father is asking permission to be buried with his companions, with the Prophet Sallallahu and Abu Bakr. But there is no pressure whatsoever, and it's merely a request that he wants to make at the end of his life. Now remember when Aisha radiallahu anha, and this is what I connect this hadith to, subhanAllah, is that amazing moment where she was sleeping next to the Prophet Sallallahu and the Prophet Sallallahu asked her for permission to get up in the beginning of the night to pray, and what did she say to the Prophet ﷺ? I love your closeness, but I love more what makes you happy. As much as I love your qurb, I love ma yasurruk, what makes you happy, Ya Rasulullah, even more than I love your closeness. And this is now another manifestation of that, subhanAllah, but one that has much longer consequences than one night. She says, when Abdullah comes to her with that request, she says, Kuntu uriduhu binafsi. She said, I, I wanted that grave for myself. But she said, today I'm going to prepare it, or I'm going to prefer Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu to me, because I know that the Prophet was pleased with him and how much the Prophet loved him. SubhanAllah. She's saying, La'uthirannahu ala nafsi. 
I'm going to prefer him to myself, even though I wanted that. So Abdullah comes back to Umar, and Umar radiallahu anhu is dying. And Umar immediately asks him, ما لديك? What news do you have? فقال أذنت لك يا أمير المؤمنين. He said, she agreed, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, that you take that grave instead of her. And he said, مَا كَانَ شَيْءٌ أَهَمَّ إِلَيَّ مِنْ ذَلِكَ الْمَضْرَعِ He said that there is not a single thing that was more beloved to me than to be buried in that place. But he said, فَإِذَا قُبِطُّ فَحْمِلُونِي ثُمَّ سَلِّمُوا ثُمَّ قُلْ يَسْتَأْذِنُ عُمَرْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَنْهُ So Umar radiallahu anhu said, but when I die, take me once again and ask for permission. I'm adding the radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Ask Aisha radiallahu anha once again, does he have permission? فَإِنْ أَذِنَتْ لِي فَتْفِنُونِي And if she says yes, then go ahead and bury me. وَإِلَّا فَرُدُّونِي إِلَى مَقَابِرِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And if she at that point thought about it after some time and said, I don't want to give up my place. Maybe she answered, in a moment of being emotional because Umar had just been stabbed and now she thought about it and she's regretting it. I don't want to give up my place next to the Prophet and Abu Bakr. So Umar said, listen, if she looks like she changed her mind, then just take me back and bury me with the rest of the Muslims. So they carried Umar bin Khattab once again and Abdullah went forward after he passed away and asked for permission. And Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha gave her permission and she preferred Umar anhu to herself for that grave, knowing that that was what would have made the Prophet happy. SubhanAllah, it's how this woman thinks about the Prophet and prefers his happiness to hers because doing so is preferring what pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to what pleases her. And so Umar anhu is brought into the home and buried at the shoulder of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So you have the Prophet sallallahu facing towards the Qibla. So that's why it's the, the gate of the Prophet sallallahu and then Abu Bakr and Umar. The Prophet sallallahu facing towards the Qibla. Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah. And then you move over and Abu Bakr to the shoulder of the Prophet sallallahu and you say Assalamu alayka ya Abu Bakr. And then to Umar, may Allah be pleased with them all at the shoulder of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. Now, subhanAllah, Aisha radiallahu anha mentions that at that point, this is something really interesting. She would wear her hijab when she would enter into that home. Why? Does she have to wear hijab in her own home where the Prophet Abu Bakr and Umar are buried? Why would she wear her hijab? She said, Haya'an min Umar. <laughs> Out of modesty with Umar, even when he's dead. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Aisha radiallahu anha felt uncomfortable walking into that home at that point without her hijab. Haya'an min Umar, out of her shyness with Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, even as he had passed away, may Allah be pleased with them all. So this becomes a major act of generosity on her part that should not go lost. And subhanAllah, look how Allah azawajal preserved her. Even if Aisha radiallahu anha is not physically buried next to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she's inseparable from him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as we read the books and as we connect to our messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and naturally in the process, connect to our mother. Now, what are some of the things that happened afterwards? There were a lot of masail, a lot of questions 
that still needed to be answered. And one of the, the things about Aisha was that she used to ask the Prophet about things that did not immediately register with her. And that was to the benefit of the Muslims, whether that was about aqidah or about fiqh, whether it was about creed or about jurisprudence. So much of her early life after the death of the Prophet is now answering some of those questions, narrating some of those narrations. So when it comes to matters of creed, or when it comes to a matter of tafsir, when the Prophet describes the Day of Judgment, man hisab the Prophet says, whoever is asked on the Day of Judgment, who, or whoever faces accountability on the Day of Judgment, will certainly be punished. Aisha radiallahu anha says, but Ya Rasulullah, doesn't Allah say, فَسَوْفَ يُحَاسَبُ حِسَابًا yasira, That the believers will have an easy and light accountability. And the Prophet says to her, that is Al-Ard or Aisha, that's the presentation of deeds. But man hisab if Allah starts to scrutinize and ask questions about your deeds, you will certainly be punished. When the Prophet says that the people will be resurrected without clothes, she's the one that says, wait a minute, Ya Rasulullah, Ar-Rijal wa Nisa, the men and the women, aren't they going to be looking at each other? Aren't the men and the women going to be looking at each other? And the Prophet says, Al-Amru Ashaddu Min Dalik, the matter is too severe for that. When Allah says, Ula'ika yusari'una fil khayrat, they are the ones that rush towards good deeds. Aisha radiallahu anha says, Ya Rasulullah, is this talking about sinners? When someone comes out of a, a really hard life of disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that suddenly they're going to you know, turn their lives towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do all sorts of good things. He says, no, no, Aisha, this is talking about those people who pray and who fast and who give charity. And all the while they are afraid that it will not be accepted of them. So, they rush to do more and more and more good deeds. Uh, the, the, you know, the questions about the Prophet personal life, when she says, Ya Rasulullah, did anything happen to you that was worse than Uhud? The battle of Uhud. She remembered seeing the Prophet in Uhud and the pain that the Prophet had with the death of his uncle, with the death of some of his beloved companions, with the blood coming down. And the Prophet then narrates to her that Ta'if was more difficult than Uhud. And he starts to narrate to her, radiallahu ta'ala anha, the incidents of Ta'if. When the Prophet tells Aisha radiallahu anha that the Kaaba is not built the way that Ibrahim built it. And she says, Ya Rasulullah, why don't you rebuild it accordingly? Which was the Kaaba was a rectangular shape and the door used to be on the ground so that people could enter from one door and exit from the other. Quraysh, when they rebuilt it, they ran out of pure money. So they built it as a cube and they made the semicircle and they raised the door so that only the elites could enter into it. And Aisha radiallahu anha said, Ya Rasulullah, why don't you then rebuild it accordingly? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says to Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, that if the people were not so close to the days of ignorance, then I would have done so, but it's too early for them. They're not ready for this. It would cause an unnecessary disruption. So she, she gets some of these questions asked to the Prophet sallallahu in a way that saves the ummah a lot of heartache. She also learns du'as from the Prophet So Ramadan is coming up. And what's the du'a that you're going to make in the last 10 nights of Laylatul Qadr? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live to see it. Allahumma ameen. What is the du'a? Allahumma innaka afu'un tuhibbul afwa fa'afu anni. 
How did we learn that? She's the one that asked the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, if the 10 nights come upon me and I know that I am in Laylatul Qadr, what's the dua I should make? And that's when the Prophet told her to increase in saying, Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibbul afwa fa'afu anni. Uh, she is the one who asked the Prophet the dua of what we should say when we enter into the graveyard. So she gets that dua from the Prophet So those masail as well, those questions get asked and answered as well. Some of the more sensitive issues of you know, women's issues or issues between husband and wife. Uh, those are multiple narrations from Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And she used to say, Ni'man nisa, nisa al-ansar, the best women are the women of the Ansar. Their sense of modesty did not stop them from understanding their religion. So they would ask the Prophet some questions. And, the, and Aisha radiallahu anha would ask questions to the Prophet as well. And Aisha radiallahu anha taught many of the issues, the masail, as it relates to women's purity and tahara uh, and things of that sort. Uh, there's one particular um, you know, narration, subhanAllah, where there was a woman that came to the Prophet and was asking the Prophet Ya Rasulullah, kayfa atatahhar? O Messenger of Allah, how should I purify myself? And the Prophet answered it, but she was asking for more and more and more and more. And she's saying that the Prophet said to Rawajhu, he uh, like he covered his face and he was saying, SubhanAllah, SubhanAllah. Tatahari biha, tatahari biha, like explain it to her. This is how you do tahara, this is how you do tahara. And Aisha said, I took her to the side and explained it to her, right? What the Prophet was trying to say. So even teaching those issues while the Prophet was alive to explain things in detail, we had our mother Aisha radiallahu anha, as we said as well, you know, uh, some of the things that distinguish the Muslims from the strictness that Jewish law was known by in Medina between husband and wife. Uh, when it came to intimacy between husband and wife, Aisha radiallahu anha was the only one that would narrate that. Now I'm going to get back to her knowledge. But before I get that, or get to that, what I want to talk about is her lived knowledge, her practice knowledge, her experience knowledge, before we start praising her teaching life after the Prophet The greatest compliment that Urwa ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhu says about Aisha radiallahu anha is not about her ability to narrate a hadith and things of that sort. He says, no one's salah resembled the salah of the Prophet as much as Aisha She prayed like the Prophet And he wasn't just talking about where she put her hands and how she did rukur and how she did sujood. I mean, imagine how many times she watched the Prophet pray and how many times she prayed behind the Prophet But her khushur in her salah, her humility, her awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, was distinguished and her recitation of the Quran was distinguished. It's narrated that she often would begin her recitation from the later part of the night and then she would go all the way until after a duha, meaning she would break only for fajr and continue her recitation of the Quran. And particularly her recitation in Ramadan was frequent and it was non-stop radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Urwa radiallahu anhu describes this moment. He says that, I remember one time I came to ask her a question. And he said, I came upon her and she was standing up and reciting one ayah of the Quran from Surah Al-Tur. Allah was merciful to us and protected us from a grievous punishment. And he said that she would recite that one ayah, تدعو وتبكي, تدعو وتبكي. 
and she'd make dua and she'd cry. And then she'd read it again and she'd make dua and she'd cry. And he said, I got so tired of waiting for her to finish reciting the Quran. I said, let me go to the marketplace and do my shopping for the day and then I'll come back to her. So he said, I went to the marketplace, I shopped, I went home, I dropped off the stuff, came back to her and she was in the exact same place عنها, reciting the same ayah, crying and making dua, crying and making dua. And one of the narrations of the Prophet وسلم, that he used to stand up وسلم, the entire night with one ayah of the Quran. The Prophet وسلم, sometimes his qiyam was with one ayah of the Quran, reciting the same ayah and making dua and weeping sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So she adopted that khushur as well from being in the presence of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Her fasting, Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr, he said, كانت عائشة تسوم الدهر. The literal translation is Aisha used to fast forever. radiallahu ta'ala anha. But what he means by that obviously is that it was as if she was always fasting radiallahu ta'ala anha. So she was frequent in her salah, frequent in her Quran, frequent in her fasting. But her most distinguishable trait was her sadaqah. And subhanAllah, there's a story to her charity after the death of the Prophet ﷺ that is extremely touching. It's narrated that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha would never eat a full meal, except that she would start to cry. You know, subhanAllah, imagine she lived one decade with the Prophet ﷺ and she chose Allah and the Messenger and the hereafter over this dunya. And now there are times where a full meal is presented to her. And so she would eat and then she would start to cry. And they would say, what's making you cry, Ya Umm Al-Mu'mineen? What's making you cry, O oh, our mother? She said, مَا أَشْبَعُ عَلَى طَعَامٍ إِلَّا وَأَنَا أَبْكِي لِأَنِّي أَذْكُرُ الْحَالَ الَّتِي فَارَقَ عَلَيْهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ الدُّنْيَا She said, I don't eat a meal to my fill. And of course, to her fill does not mean that she's luxuriously eating, but that she eats to a point that it's sufficient. Except that I cry because I remember the state in which the Prophet ﷺ left this dunya. And she says, Wallahi ma shabi'a min khubzin wala lahmin marrataini fi yawm. He never once had his fill sallallahu alayhi wasallam from bread or from meat twice in a day. Like the Prophet ﷺ never in his life had two full meals in one day sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So you imagine while other companions were remembering Mus'ab radiallahu anhu and remembering some of their, their friends that passed away before them, Aisha is remembering the Prophet and saying, he never got to eat this food. He never would eat to his fill So what does that mean? Her life remained, and this is also one of the greatest ways to praise her, her life remained in the same state of poverty after the death of the Prophet for 50 years. She never allowed for anyone to elevate her condition like, oh, now that he's gone Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and we don't have to live that difficulty, I can move on. She did not allow anyone to elevate her circumstances. And they tried and they tried and they tried and they tried. Muawiyah radiallahu anhu once sent her a gift of a hundred thousand dirhams. A hundred thousand dirhams. I mean, that's enough to take care of her for a very, very long time. 
And Aisha radiallahu anha was fasting that day and the gift arrived from Muawiyah before Zuhr. And they said, Wallahi, by the time iftar came, she didn't have a dirham left of that 100,000 to suffice herself for iftar. She literally took the 100,000 and she gave it all away, right away. That's a lifetime salary for her. Another time, someone else sent her 100,000 dirhams and she divided it between the wives of the Prophet ﷺ and kept nothing for herself. She took the 100,000 and she went and she divided it between Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, the other wives of the Prophet ﷺ, and she kept nothing for herself. Another man, Urwa says, came to the door one time and he was wrapped up, he was anonymous. And he was carrying 70,000 dirhams. These are huge amounts, by the way, 70,000 dirhams. And when he was asked who he is, SubhanAllah, look at his response. He said, Muhibban li Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I'm someone who loves the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Here's 70,000 dirhams, ya Umm al-Mu'mineen, from me to you. It's just a gift. Don't ask from where it came from. Don't ask any questions. Muhibban li Rasulillah. SubhanAllah, the Ansar used to send their gifts to Aisha's house because they knew the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam loved her the most. And when he was with her, they wanted to send their gifts then. This man comes and says 70,000 dirhams. She gave it all away in sadaqah that entire day. In fact, Umar radiallahu anhu uh, had this, the same spirit from the Ansar. He used to, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, give to each of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu 10,000 dirhams as just a salary, as something to take care of them. But then he added 2,000 for Aisha and he said, Habiba to Habibullah, don't blame me. This is the beloved one of the beloved one of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And Aisha radiallahu anha would give it away. And there are some beautiful stories here. I have a few that I'll share. One of my favorite ones uh, is from Barira. Now, if you remember Barira, uh, Barira radiallahu anha is the freed slave of Aisha. Aisha freed her radiallahu ta'ala anha, anha uh, anhun, and gave her her freedom. And basically she narrates many of the private stories of Aisha, the same way Aisha narrates many of the private stories of the Prophet Barira, even after Aisha freed her, still stayed with Aisha. So they kind of stayed together for the rest of her, her life. And then Barira would live for another few years after Aisha and pass away. So many of those internal conversations about Aisha are from Barira radiallahu ta'ala anha, who was the freed slave of Aisha radiallahu anha. And she was the one who in Haditatul Ifq, who in the slander of Aisha, remember she's the one that the Prophet ﷺ went to and she told the Prophet ﷺ, there is no fault on this woman except that sometimes she sleeps and the dough is left uncovered and then the animals come and eat all the dough. This is Barira radiallahu ta'ala anha. So Barira has all these stories of times where people would come to the house and they'd ask for sadaqah and Aisha would give it away. And she says, one day, uh, we were fasting and a beggar came to the house and asked for something. And Barira answered and said, we have nothing in this house. So Barira and Aisha are like sisters in this house. They're both fasting. And Barira says, we have nothing. I mean, there's literally nothing in this house to give you. And Aisha radiallahu anha said, I think we have something. And she goes and she starts to search around the house and search the cupboards until she finds this one cup of barley. This one cup of barley. And that was supposed to be, Barira said, I put that away 
for our iftar. SubhanAllah, all they had was one cup of barley and that was going to be their iftar that night. And Aisha anha goes searching the house until she can find it, pulls it out and comes back to the beggar and gives it to the beggar. And Barira said, I actually got annoyed. Said, what about if our iftar? Like you gave away our iftar. This was the only thing we were gonna break our fast on. So Aisha radiallahu anha said, huwa razzaq. Allah is the sustainer, we're gonna be okay. So Barira radiallahu anha, she says, I was mocking Aisha radiallahu anha. I mean, they're like sisters, right? And I'm saying, you know, I wonder if something's gonna fall from the sky. Is something going to come from the sky? Is something going to magically appear? And she's like, you know, you gave away our iftar. We don't have anything to break our fast with. So I wonder where the food's going to come from, right? I wonder where this is going to end up from. And she's saying it obviously lovingly, but it's, you know, like, come on, you gave away our one cup of barley. So she said, SubhanAllah, Maghrib came in and we broke our fast with some water and then we prayed. And as soon as we finished praying, Someone knocked on the door and said that this is a goat, the Adi Rasulullah. I've prepared a goat for the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Barira says that while I'm you know, mocking or I'm, I'm mumbling under my breath out of anger that she gave away our iftar, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha looks at me and she starts repeating all the things I said the day. I guess the dates are gonna come from the sky. I guess the water is gonna appear from nowhere. I guess, you know, like, like teasing back at her, like see, and she said that she said to me, Ya Barira, when you trust Allah more than you trust what is in your possession, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to provide for you. Like Allah wa razaq. Don't worry. I've been through this before. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care. And so that famous incident where the woman came to the house of Aisha and she only found three dates. She gave the three dates to that woman and her children. She maintained that same mindset. When anyone came to the house to beg, even if she had one single date, she'd give it away. And in one narration, there was a man that came, a beggar that came and asked Aisha radiallahu anha for food. And subhanAllah, the wife of the Prophet the most beloved, she found only one grape in her home, one inam. So she brought the grape and she gave it to the beggar. And the man looked at the grape and he said, that's it, not a dirham, not a, not a bundle of grapes, one grape. And Aisha radiallahu anha said, وَكَمْ فِي هَذَا مِنْ مِثْقَالِ And how many atoms worth are in that grape? She recited the ayah, So whoever does an atom's worth of good will see it. So it might seem insignificant to you, but I hope from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it will be something great. SubhanAllah, you can see her fiqh in her sadaqah as well here, her understanding in her sadaqah. Remember we said she used to perfume the charity? Barira radiallahu ta'ala anha, she says, and you'll find this in the books of tafsir, um, this narration under Surah Al-Insan, that when the believers feed people, they say, we feed you only seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we don't want any gratitude and any compensation from you. So. In this narration, when Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha used to send sadaqah to different homes that she knew were in need, she would ask the messenger who came back, ma qalu, what did they say? What did they say when you gave them the charity? Now, 
like I want you to think about this. You know, if you ever give charity and you get like the the orphan profile or you get something about the person or you know you get a message of gratitude and and by the way I'm not I, the charities that do that may Allah reward you because it encourages sadaqah. It really does, right? It gives you an emotional, personalized experience. But these are people of ihsan. They're different. They're on another level of excellence. When Aisha was asking, what did they say? What do you think she was asking for? Does anyone know? Raise your hands if you, uh, if you have an idea. Yeah. If it was enough. Good guess, but it's not particularly this one. But that's a really good guess though. Whether they made du'a, subhanAllah, she would say, did they make du'a for me when you gave them the food? فَإِذَا ذَكَرَ دُعَاءً دَعَتْ لَهُمْ بِمِثْلِهِ لِيَبْقَى لَهَا ثَوَابُ الصَّدَقَةِ خَالِصًا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ She would say, if they made du'a for me, tell me what du'a they made so I can make the same du'a for them so that the entire reward of the sadaqah can remain for me. Look at that. That's, that's understanding to another level here. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We don't want any payment back and we don't want any gratitude. So if they made dua, let me make the same dua for them because I want to make sure that the whole sadaqah goes to my scale. That's the fiqh of our mother Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And subhanAllah, in this, you can imagine how frustrating it could be to be someone who loves Aisha radiallahu anha and tries to give her charity or tries to give her something and she never keeps anything for herself. And SubhanAllah, one of the most touching stories uh, is narrated precisely because of her sadaqah after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Urwa ibn Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, Kana Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhuma ahabba al-bashari ila Aishata ba'd al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa Abi Bakr. She says, or he says, Abdullah ibn Zubayr was the most beloved person in the world to Aisha after the Prophet and Abu Bakr. Now, I need you to understand the story a bit, inshaAllah ta'ala, so just a quick reminder. Urwa ibn Zubayr, Abdullah ibn Zubayr. How are they related to Aisha? They are her nephews, because their mother is who? Asma bint Abi Bakr. So Urwa and Abdullah are the nephews of Aisha. And the Prophet told Aisha that you can call yourself Umm Abdullah, the mother of Abdullah, because of your maternal nephew Abdullah ibn Zubair. So Urwa here, who narrates so many of these ahadith, so much of the seerah, I mean the greatest source of seerah that we have is Urwa to Aisha, to the Prophet Urwa is saying, look, the person that Aisha loved most after the Prophet and Abu Bakr was her son, Abdullah ibn Zubair. And he was the most obedient person to her. He used to honor her as well. So there was a special relationship between Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhuma and Aisha radiallahu anha that lasted far after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَكَانَتْ لَا تُمْسِكُ شَيْئًا مِمَّا جَاءَهَا مِنْ رِزْقِ اللَّهِ إِلَّا تَصَدَّقَتْ And she would not hold anything that came to her from the sustenance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, except that she gave it away in charity. So one day, Abdullah ibn Zubayr said something publicly that was very insulting, and he slipped. He slipped. And it hurt Aisha's feelings. He said, Yanbaghi and yu'khada ala yadayha. Said someone should actually tie her hands, meaning someone should, stop, should start preventing her from basically running her own affairs. Now the indication here is that she can't run her own affairs anymore. 
And that was extremely insulting to Aisha. Now, he's saying it from a place of love. Like, I want to take care of her affairs. I'm not going to let her give sadaqah anymore. I'm going to make sure that she keeps something to herself because she's getting too much with this. Like, sadaqah does not stay... I mean, char charity is always leaving her house and no money stays in her house and she's not taking care of herself. So he's saying this from a place of love, but the way he said it was deeply insulting to Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. So when the news got back, like it was kind of awkward that he said that in public, that from now on, I'm gonna, someone should take care of her affairs, tie her hand. When the news got to her, she said, he said that? I said, yeah. She said, well, I'll never speak to him again. That's a tough one. I'll never talk to him again. I mean, subhanAllah, that was how it hurt. Now imagine, this is of course the human side that is important for us to study and to learn. She obviously said it because of how much she loves him. Like you think, you're like, is it really that big of a deal? But why do you think it's that big of a deal? Because of how much she loves him. That's her son, right? That's the closest thing she's had to a son. And she felt like he insulted her in public and she was so hurt that he's almost suggesting like, I'll never talk to him again. When Abdullah ibn Zubayr heard that, he was devastated. Like, what did I do to myself? And he's afraid now of what's going to happen. Like, am I going to die while she's upset with me? Is she going to die while she's upset with me? So this narration is actually a very profound one because Abdullah ibn Zubayr wants to find a way now to get back on good terms with her. And he's afraid because of what she said. So Abdullah ibn Zubayr, didn't want to go and knock on her door, even though he's her nephew and he can just enter upon her, because he was afraid she wouldn't answer, right? Because she said, well, I won't speak to him. So he actually plots with two uncles of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Abdurrahman ibn al-Aswad, al-Miswar ibn al-Mahra. So the uncles, meaning the, the, the maharam, these are people that are mahram to her, to basically go to Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha and to sneak into her home. <laughs> it's really interesting here because she's, you know, he, he, he does this using the Arabic language, all right? So he says that I'm going to go with you two and ask permission to enter upon Aisha. And if she says yes, respond to her and say, Kulluna, all of us can enter. So it's really the two of you. And she'll probably just think it's a slip of tongue, but just say the two of us, Kulluna. And Aisha radiallahu anha will say, Yes, all of you come in, meaning the two of you, right? So they go and Abdullah ibn Zubayr is with them. And he, you know, says while he's with them, they ask permission to enter and, I, and they say, Kulluna, all of us, and Aisha says, all of you. So Abdullah ibn Zubayr jumps in. And he removes the curtain. And they both, he, he grabbed her and he hugged her and he started to cry and she started to cry. This is how much this mother loves her son. This is how much this son loves her mother. And, and truly, subhanAllah, when you read, you read this type of stuff, you realize like this relationship is closer than a mother and a son. Like if she was actually, or if he was actually her son, right? So he's crying and she's crying. And, and Ibn Zubayr starts to plea with her, Allah, Rahim, you know, for the sake of Allah, forgive me, and Rahim, and our ties, you know, and, and the way the Prophet said, we have to maintain our family, uh, you know, kinship. 
And the other two men as well, the uncles start to say to Aisha, Ya Aisha, forgive him, let it go. It's okay, he didn't mean it, he just slipped. It was a silly mistake that he made. وَذَكَرَ لَهَا قَوْلَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ And they reminded her of the Prophet وسلم, saying something that she narrated. لَا يَحِلُّ لِمُسْلِمٍ أَنْ يَهْجُرَ أَخَاهُ فَوْقَ ثَلَاثٍ They said, you're the one who narrated the Prophet وسلم, said that no one should abandon their brother or abandon another Muslim for three days. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she's crying and she, she says, you know, I want to forgive you. She said, but I took an oath. What do I do? So she's afraid now of the oath that she took because she said as another, as an oath, I'll never speak to you again. So subhanAllah, at that point, this woman of sadaqah, what does she do? Some money had come to her from Yemen. A gift came to her from Yemen and it was a lot of money. I mean, imagine, look, if you're a good Muslim and Islam has come to you and you're hearing all these narrations about Aisha radiallahu anha and you know she's still alive and you love the Prophet what are you going to do if you have money? Right, you're going to send money to the house of the Prophet So it just so happened, subhanAllah, that a lot of money had come. Aisha radiallahu anha took all of that money and she freed over 40 slaves with that money. SubhanAllah, to free herself from the nadr, from the oath that she had taken. And more came to her and she continued to free. In one narration, she freed over a hundred people, SubhanAllah, because of fear of having transgressed with that nadr. Now, nowadays we just say oats right and left, right? And then I can fast three days, right? And get this over with, right? Look at Aisha radiallahu anha. She's like, I don't know what to do with myself because I don't want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having violated his name. Yes, I said it in emotion. Yes, Abdullah is like my son, but I don't want to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with this. And Awf, he says, ثُمَّ سَمِعْتُهَا بَعْدُ تَذْكُرُ نَذْرَهَا ذَلِكْ فَتَبْكِي حَتَّى تَبُلَّ خِمَارَهَا And he said, I remember after that, every time she'd even remember that nadr, that she said that, that she took that oath that I won't speak to him again, even though she freed tens of slaves. So she has fulfilled what's required of someone who breaks an oath. She would cry until her khimar would get wet. anha, Out of fear of what she had done. This is the taqwa of Aisha. So she freed, by the way, let's just put this out there. She was known from her sadaqah of freeing the enslaved. anha was also a slave and she freed her. Aisha used to love to free slaves with the charity that she had. Another thing that she used to do with her sadaqah, and this is profound, is with aytam, with orphans. Aisha used to take care of the orphans. She used to feed them. She used to bring them into her home. So the house of the Prophet even after his death, remained a house full of aytam, full of orphans. But there's something better than that. It's not just feeding them. It's not just getting them you know, ready to be able to go out and meet society. What is it that she can give to them that other people can't give to them? Other than of course, the closeness to the Prophet Wasallam and education. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha would teach her orphans how to read and write. And subhanAllah, she was strict with them. You know, they said she used to discipline her orphans if they made a single mistake in grammar. So the most poetic people in society, people that had their linguistics right, that had their reading and writing, they were fully literate. Out of love for them, Aisha radiallahu anha was raising these orphans to become ulama. So she knew that the best thing she could give them, and of course orphans were exploited in that society, one of the reasons was often lack of education. You meet 
people in refugee camps today, what do they need? They need an education. You meet people that come out of these devastating circumstances, kids that don't know how to read or write anymore. Aisha in a society where most adults couldn't read and write, is teaching these orphans how to read and write, teaching them Arabic poetry, teaching them grammar so that they don't make a single mistake with their grammar. And then she would prepare them. And if it was a female orphan, she would wait until they were ready to get married. She'd get them ready for, for marriage and she would sponsor them all the way until the wedding. So she takes that hadith of the Prophet about kafir yatim, that I and the one who sponsors an orphan are like these two. And if she's already like these two with the Prophet and she applies it with absolute excellence, with absolute ihsan. So subhanAllah, her house became a place of salah, a place of recitation of the Quran, a place of fasting, and a place that was known for its charity, and more than anything else, her ilm, her knowledge. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha is one of the muftis of the companions. Now, I, I think we've gone over this sometime, but there are only a few companions that were considered muftis amongst the Sahaba themselves. All the Sahaba have a level of iftat to the next generation. But she issues religious verdicts and she passes knowledge in a way that no one else would. So when that came to the women of the Ummah, Aisha radiallahu anha's house was frequented by female students, first and foremost. She would have 40, sometimes 50, up to 70 students, female students that were with her radiallahu ta'ala anha teaching them the deen, teaching them what they needed to know about their religion. And wherever Aisha radiallahu anha went, it was like she was a traveling university. So one of them, subhanAllah, was her hajj. When Aisha goes to hajj radiallahu anha, imagine if you were in hajj and you knew Aisha was in that tent in Mina. What are you gonna do, right? You're gonna go wait in line and wait for your chance. People come from all over the world and the tent of Aisha radiallahu anha, I want to meet my mother. I want to ask her questions, right? So the lines outside of her tent for Hajj, and she did Hajj with the Prophet ﷺ, were very long lines. And SubhanAllah, there's a beautiful narration here from Sa'id ibn Hisham. He says that, so I was amongst those people inquiring this long line outside of the tent of Aisha. She went for Hajj. And when I got to her, I asked her, what was the character of the Prophet ﷺ like? She said, his character was the Qur'an. And she added, she said, have you read Surah Al-Mu'minun? SubhanAllah. Like if you took the ayat of Surah Al-Mu'minun, which are the descriptions of a believer. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Those first 10 verses which describe the pinnacle of belief manifested by the believer. Aisha radiallahu anha said, you're asking me about character. His character was the Qur'an. You ever read the Surah Al-Mu'minun? And Sa'id said, I said, yes. She said, that was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Thaka Rasulullah. Complete consistency, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in his life. Inside his house, outside his house. He lived and manifested the traits of the believers as told in the Quran. So Sa'id said, I thought that I shouldn't keep on going, but you know, this is an opportunity. I can keep asking her questions. So I asked her, what was his qiyam like, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? She said, have you read Surah Al-Muzzamil? SubhanAllah. The Prophet Sallallahu Qiyam was Surah Al-Muzzammil. قُمِ اللَّيْلَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا نِصْفَهُ أَوْ إِنْقُسِمْ مِنْهُ قَلِيلًا أَوْ زِدْ عَلَيْهِ وَرَتِّلِ الْقُرْآنَ تَرْتِيلًا It was the perfect description of the Prophet Sallallahu Qiyam. And then she went in and she started to give details of the Qiyam of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
Ata ibn Rabah, who was, uh, of course, the Mufti of Mecca after the death of the Prophet he said, كانت عائشة أفقه الناس وأحسن الناس رأياً في العام that Aisha was the most knowledgeable of people and the best of them in her opinion. Abu Musa al-Ash'ari says that there was no issue that came to us as the companions of the Prophet except ashkala alayna, except if it caused us difficulty, we went to Aisha and she knew exactly how to answer it. Masruq ibn al-Ajda, he says, وَلَقَدْ رَأَيْتُ أَصْحَابَ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ الْأَكَابِرُ he said, I saw the seniors, the shiyukh of the companions of the Prophet asking her the most complicated questions about inheritance. Inheritance requires a lot of mathematical knowledge. It's a deep, deep, deep area. It's painful. And can you imagine, subhanAllah, this young woman, scholar, the wife of the Prophet and she could answer all of their questions about inheritance. Abu Hurairah and Abdullah ibn Umar, I mean, these are huge names, may Allah be pleased with them. When they had a dispute or they had a difference of opinion on something, they said, let's go ask Aisha so she can solve it for us. So they knew that she was the one that could solve it for them. Al-Imam al-Zuhri rahimahullah, he says, لَوْ جُمِعَ عِلْمُ عَائِشَةَ إِلَىٰ عِلْمِ جَمِيعِ النِّسَاءِ لَكَانَ عِلْمُ عَائِشَةَ أَفْضَلٍ he said, if you took all of the knowledge of all of the women in the world and you compared it to Aisha, Aisha had more knowledge than all of them. In one narration, all of Ummahat al-Mu'mineen and all of the mothers, all of the women of this world, Aisha radiallahu anha, was more knowledgeable than them. But was it just than the women of the Ummah? No, Ahnaf ibn Qais, he says, Wallahi, I have heard the khutab, I've heard the sermons of Abu Bakr, of Umar, of Uthman, of Ali. And he said, I've never heard a woman a human being actually, he didn't say a woman, a person more eloquent than Aisha. She was more eloquent than all four of Khulafa al-Rashidin. That's a huge statement. She had more eloquence, sallallahu anha, than all four of Khulafa al-Rashidin. May Allah be pleased with them all. And Muawiyah says, Wallahi ma sami'tu qattu ablagha min Aisha, laysa Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa He said, I never heard a human being more eloquent than her, other than the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then it gets very specific here. Musa ibn Talha, he says, Ma ra'aytu ahdan afsah min Aisha. So I never saw a person uh, more, more uh, eloquent than Aisha. And he said, she never even made a grammatical error in her speech and never paused when narrating hadith. Like she narrated hadiths of the Prophet and she never paused, she never made a mistake to where she had to go back and re repeat herself. She repeats the whole statement of the Prophet fresh with full eloquence, with full clarity, with full coherence. And when she spoke, it was poetic. So she could speak for a long time and no one would get tired. And this is actually a trait of hers. Abu Zinad, he said that, you know, I never met anyone in my life more poetic than Urwa ibn Zubair, her nephew. And Urwa said, that's all from Aisha. Anything I'm saying, all the poetry I recite is what I learned from my aunt Aisha. And he says, ما كان ينزل بها شيء إلا أنشدت له شعرا. Anything that ever happened to her in life, she wrote a poem about it. Think about that. Every incident in her life, عنها, she was so eloquent, so knowledgeable, that she was able to make a poem about it. عنها. And that's where the famous narration, he says, Urwa says, فَقَدْ صَحِبْتُ عَائِشَ فَمَا رَأَيْتُ أَحَدًا قَدْ كَانَ أَعْلَمَ بِآيَةٍ أُنْزِلَتْ وَلَا بِفَرِيضَةٍ وَلَا بِسُنَّةٍ وَلَا بِشِعْرٍ 
ولا أروى له ولا بيوم من أيام العرب ولا بنسب ولا بكذا ولا بكذا ولا بقضاء أعلم من عائشة He said I never met a person more knowledgeable of a verse in the Quran a sunnah of the Prophet of anything when it came to poetry of anything when it came to ancestry of the history of the Arabs of uh, anything halal and haram of any judgment that was more knowledgeable than Aisha but he said the one that confounded me and I'm going to give you the backstory of this because it, it gives you more the one that confounded me was her knowledge of medicine so he says I said to her ya ummata oh my mother la a'jabu min fiqhik aqulu zawjatu nabiyyullah sallallahu zawjatu nabiyyullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said oh my mother I'm not so amazed by your knowledge of fiqh, halal and haram because I say to myself, you're the wife of the Prophet And then he went on and he said, And I'm not so amazed by your knowledge of poetry and the history of the Arabs. I say to myself, you're the daughter of Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr was known for his knowledge of ancestry, his knowledge of the history of the Arabs. He said, وَلَكِنْ أَعْجَبُ مِنْ عِلْمِكِ بِالطِّبِّ كَيْفَ هُوَ وَمِنْ أَيْنَ هُوَ I wonder about your knowledge of medicine. Where did you get it from? How did you learn so much about medicine? And that's where he says, she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, أَيْ عُرَيَّةُ Oh, Urwa, little Urwa. Like to my nephew. She says, إِنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَانَ يَسْقَمُ عِنْدَ آخِرِ عُمُرِهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ That the Prophet ﷺ used to get sick at the end of his life. وَكَانَتْ تَقْدَمُ عَلَيْهِ وَفُودُ الْعَرَبِ And people used to come to him from all over, delegations of the Arabs. And she said that all of these people would come to him and give him advice about medicine. The doctors of the Arabs would come to him. So she said, I would listen attentively and learn so that I could treat the Prophet ﷺ's illness properly. SubhanAllah. She's also radiallahu ta'ala anha, a hafidah of Qur'an. And uh, this is narrated that it's only her, Umm Salama and Hafsa from the wives of the Prophet ﷺ that were amongst those that memorized the Qur'an. 2,220 ahadith in her musnad. And one of the things that makes her unique is that she, she could correct misconceptions about the seerah, misconceptions about uh, things of the Prophet ﷺ. Imam Az-Zarqashi has a, a book which compiles hundreds of narrations. Al-Ijabatu al-Iradi mastadrakatu Aishatu ala sahaba All of the times that Aisha corrected radiallahu anha wa anhum, all of the companions. All the times Aisha connected or corrected all of the companions. So, for example, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu narrated if someone wakes up in a state of janaba, in a state of impurity after Fajr, they can't fast at that point. So Aisha radiallahu anha heard that and she said, that was mansukh, that was abrogated because the Prophet later on in his life would wake up in a state of janaba, in a state of impurity, and he would continue to fast sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu also narrated, ما يقطع الصلاة إلا كلب وحمار ومرأة that nothing breaks the prayer, meaning if it, if it goes in front of you, unless it is an animal. So he mentions a dog, he mentions a donkey, and then he mentions a woman. So Aisha radiallahu anha says, 
تَشَبَّهْتُمُونَ بِالْحِمَارِ وَالْكِلَابِ You've compared us to the dogs and the donkeys. He said, the Pro- she said, the Prophet was speaking about a people that used to do that before, but he used to pray salah with my legs in front of him. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then he would tap my legs in his qiyam and I'd move my legs to the side. And then he would pray, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She clarified about women attending the janazah as in, in her, in her uh, opinion. Now, by the way, I have to put, point this out. That if there's a khilaf between the Sahaba, the madhahib are perfectly within their right to choose the opinions of a Sahabi over a Sahabi, right? And to follow that. So it's not necessarily, you know, that everything in the book of Az-Zarqashi, Aisha radiallahu anha was right and the other companions were wrong. It's that Aisha had a unique vantage point and a great understanding. And usually it became accepted, right? That yes, she got it. And maybe she understood something at a later point or she was able to contextualize something from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, for example, when it came to Janazah, uh, she went to the Janazah of Abdurrahman ibn Abi Bakr, her brother, radiallahu anhu. And when she attended the Janazah and she went to the Baqir, some of the companions didn't like that. And they said, didn't the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam curse the women who are, uh, who, who wail, who frequent the graves and who wail. This was a habit of the Arabs, the Jahli Arabs, was to have the mourners, those who would wail, the women that would wail at the janazah of a person, at the funeral of a person. And she said that the Prophet ﷺ used to forbid all of us from the graveyard. When he said, Inni nahaytukum an ziyarat al-qubur. He used to forbid the men and the women from the graves. But in this case, she said when the Prophet lifted that prohibition on the men and the women, that it included us as well. So when he lifted the prohibition for the men and the women to visit the graves, he lifted it for both. Now, obviously, not to get too much into this, the Prophet had done so because of the innovations and the shirkiyat. A lot of of actions take place at the grave that just don't take place anywhere else. And subhanAllah, you'll notice this in many cultures, right? that a lot of the things that are impermissible happen at the graveyard. It's a very emotional time and there's a sort of this experience where people can start to do things with the graves. And the Prophet ﷺ is clarifying Tawheed, you know, for the first two decades of Islam until it was solid in the hearts of the companions and they understood it and they understood its implications. The Prophet ﷺ would prohibit them to go to the graveyard beyond the janazah. But then the Prophet ﷺ said, visit it because it reminds you of death. So in Aisha radiallahu anha's opinion, she said that when the Prophet said that, he meant the women as well, but still the prohibition would remain on those who wail and who, you know, who, who carry out some of those practices that the Prophet specified. Again, that kind of shows you the way her fiqh, the way her understanding enters into the discourse between the scholars and the students of knowledge and her students. Uh, you know, we already mentioned Urwa ibn Zubair, may Allah be pleased with him and his father. Uh, she had many students, subhanAllah. Uh, one of them was Al-Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr, who became one of the jurists of Medina, the grandson of Abu Bakr. Uh, one of them was a woman by the name of Amra bint Abdul Rahman. And Amra bint Abdul Rahman was like the secretary of Aisha. So Amra bint Abdul Rahman is one of the most trustworthy narrators of a hadith. She's actually a great scholar of hadith. She learned so much from Aisha radiallahu anha. She used to write letters and receive letters on behalf of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. And Imam al-Zuhri described her as this boundless ocean of knowledge. And all of that was from being a student 
of Aisha. And by the way, Amra uh, bint Abdurrahman is the granddaughter of As'ad ibn Zurara, the first Muslim from Medina, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So you have that. I'm gonna kind of fast forward a bit because of time. Uh, this is sort of her legacy amongst the Khulafa al-Rashideen, teaching, breeding the next generation of scholars, narrating a hadith, and you see the wisdom of the Prophet in that. Now, at the time of Uthman anhu, when the fitna broke out, this is actually a significant point to mention. When the assassination of Uthman anhu happened, Aisha was in Mecca performing Hajj. So they murdered Uthman anhu, the, you know, the people of Fitna murdered Uthman during the time of Hajj. And when the emotions went wild and people were, you know, trying to grasp what had happened to Uthman anhu, the news reaches them in Mecca. And Aisha anha was amongst those who stood up in front of the Kaaba. And she said, Inna Uthmana qutila mazluma. Uthman radiallahu anhu was murdered uh, and was oppressed. Wa ana ad'ukum ila talabi bidamihi. And I'm calling you to go and to, to call bitalabi damihi, to call for uh, justice, meaning that people who were responsible for the death of Uthman radiallahu anhu should be punished right away. Okay? What's the dispute amongst the companions? Ali radiallahu anhu is saying, let's establish some level of you know, peace, security, safety, and then go after the murderers of Uthman. He's not saying, let's not go after the murderers of Uthman. He's saying, let's stabilize things quickly, and then let's go after them together as one hand, but there's too much chaos right now. If you do it, random people are gonna be killed because they're gonna be accused of what? Having had a hand in the murder of Uthman radiallahu anhu. And that was the opinion of Ali radiallahu anhu, and he was closer to the truth in that regard. Other companions, may Allah be pleased with them, were saying we need to go after them right away. And they're obviously driven by a sense of truth and justice and a love for Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Aisha radiallahu anha was one of those that said we need to go after them right away. So Aisha radiallahu anha goes towards Al-Madinah with Talha and Zubair. She did not intend a fight or a battle. This is one of the most important things that she said with the talab, with the request that the justice be carried out swiftly, that we go after the murderers of Uthman. And that's when they met Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and the two groups of Muslims meet with each other. They came to an agreement about how they would carry out things, how they would go after the murderers of Uthman. They went back to their camps, those that came from Mecca and those that were in Medina, and at night, the hypocrites realized, the people of Fitna realized, if they're all on the same page, we're in trouble. So what did they do? They attacked both sides. At night, they attacked both sides so that both sides thought the other one had initiated a battle. No one was there to kill each other in this battle or in this, in this entire episode. But they attack both sides and that initiates a battle. And the battle ends pretty quickly. This is known as the Battle of Al-Jamal the battle of the camel, uh, because Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he cut down the camel that Aisha radiallahu anha was on, he didn't hurt her, and that ends the battle. And he said, may Allah forgive you, ya Umm al-Mu'mineen, may Allah forgive you, a mother of the believers. And she responds, may Allah forgive you, because they both thought that the other army attacked, that the other group attacked. 
After this, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu sends Aisha radiallahu anha back to her home, accompanied by the largest, uh, by, by uh, one of the largest groups of righteous and noble companions to care for her security. There is absolutely nothing that transpires after that between Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Aisha radiallahu anha. And in fact, Ali radiallahu anhu would visit her and would praise her. And Ali radiallahu anhu would punish anyone that slandered her, anyone that spoke ill of her. And Aisha used to refer people to Ali radiallahu anhu even after that when it came to areas of knowledge. And she used to say, إِنَّهُ لَأَعْلَمُ النَّاسِ بِسُنَّةِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, That he's the most knowledgeable of the people when it comes to the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, especially when it came to matters of travel. So there are narrations where Aisha radiallahu anhu has asked questions about the journey of the Prophet وسلم, when he would travel, how he would carry out his affairs. And she would say, go to, go to Ali because he accompanied the Prophet ﷺ on more of those journeys and he can give you a better answer. So she would refer people still to him. And she regretted though, because that still led to an episode where Muslims were killed. Even if the people of Fitna attacked both sides, she used to say, I wish I would have died before that. So she regretted that entire episode, that entire incident in her life radiallahu ta'ala anha. So that's something to point out there that she generally avoids the politics of what's happening. She stays as a scholar teaching people from her home radiallahu ta'ala anha. But in this situation, uh, that is what happened with Ma'rakatul Jamal, with the battle of Al-Jamal. And then we go to the time of her death. And subhanAllah, there's something very powerful here that Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. He asks permission to visit Aisha at the time of her death. And this is when she was very, very ill and she's about to pass away. And Aisha radiallahu anha says, who's at the door? And they say, it's Ibn Abbas. She says, Akhsha and yufna alayya. I'm afraid he's gonna come in here and praise me. Like right now, I'm seeking forgiveness from Allah. I'm praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the woman that the Prophet died on her chest. She wants to leave this world in a state of dhikr and she's like, I don't want him to come in and start praising me. And they said, Ibn Ammi Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He is the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he's one of the best of the Muslims. So Aisha radiallahu anha says, go ahead and let him in. So Ibn Abbas comes in and he says, How are you, uh, oh my mother? And Aisha radiallahu anha says, بِخَيْرٍ إِنَ She said, I'm well, alhamdulillah, if I have taqwa. If Allah finds me to be a person of taqwa, I'm well, alhamdulillah. So it's like she's preempting what Ibn Abbas is going to say. So Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah responds and he says, فَأَنْتِ بِخَيْرٍ inshallah, Then you are certainly in good, inshaAllah. أَبْشِرِي فَوَاللَّهِ مَا بَيْنَكِ وَبَيْنَ أَن تُفَارِقِ كُلِّ نَصَبٍ وَتَلْقَى مُحَمَّدًا صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَالْأَحِبَّةِ إِلَّا أَن تُفَارِقَ رُوحُكِ جَسَدَكِ It's one of the most profound things that you can say to a person that can be said to her at this time of death. He says, glad tidings to you, O my mother, because I swear by Allah that there's nothing between you and being reunited with the Prophet and the beloved ones, except that your soul has to leave your body. That separation, subhanAllah, 50 years, waiting to be reunited with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ibn Abbas is saying to her, 
the only thing left is that your soul needs to leave this body. And that's the only thing that is stopping you from being reunited with the Prophet wasallam and the beloved ones. Aisha anha starts to cry. Ihin ya ibn Abbas. Woe to you, Ibn Abbas. Like, don't praise me in this situation. And Ibn Abbas ta'ala anhu says, Zawjatu Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Kunti ahabba nisa'i Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The wife of the Prophet sallallahu You were the most beloved of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of all of his wives. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ يُحِبُّ إِلَّا طَيِّبًا And the Prophet only loved someone who was pure. And he starts to go on and praise her and say, you are the one who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed tayammum out of love for. The incident of the necklace being lost. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed tayammum on your behalf. And even more than that rukhsa, even more than that license, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed your innocence in the Qur'an. And he's saying, so there is not a masjid in the world. لَيْسَ مَسْجِدٌ مِنْ مَسَاجِدِ يُثْكَرُ فِيهَ اللَّهِ There is not a single masjid of the masajid of Allah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioned. إِلَّا بَرَاءَتُكِ تُتْلَى فِيهِ آنَاءَ اللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ Except that your innocence will forever be recited day and night in that masjid. SubhanAllah, what a beautiful way to say it to her. Like, you don't worry about your going to the next life because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have praised you this way if you were not a woman of taqwa. And Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she cries, she makes dua, she asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness and she passes away radiallahu ta'ala anha and guess when she passes away? The 17th night of Ramadan. So Aisha radiallahu anha dies on the 17th night of Ramadan, which by the way is the same day of Badr, and is reunited with our beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the beloved ones. SubhanAllah, you know, they say that her janazah, this is 58 years after Hijrah on the 17th of Ramadan, her janazah was so large that Medina was rumbling. The people came from all over to attend the janazah of our mother Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha and to carry her to Al-Baqir and to bury her in that place. And Abu Hurairah ta'ala anhu led her to Salat al-Janazah and they carried her praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but also seeking forgiveness and recognizing how much history was being buried with this woman ta'ala anha, how much access to the Prophet وسلم, was buried with this woman ta'ala anha. and just think about it subhanAllah she's not buried next to the Prophet وسلم, She's literally part of our memory of any time we remember the Messenger وسلم, She's a part of the Qur'an that we recite radiallahu ta'ala anha declaring her innocence and her virtue and her honor. And she is the wife of the Prophet وسلم, in Jannah as she was the wife of the Prophet وسلم, in this dunya. So a thought for you all that I would think about is in Jannah when you want to visit the hujurat of the Prophet وسلم, and the hujurat in Jannah are not like the hujurat in this life. The Prophet's hujurat are palaces in Jannah, unlike any palaces. Imagine, inshaAllah ta'ala, as we go through any of the wives of the Prophet going in and visiting the palace of the wife of the Prophet with him and hearing these stories.
firsthand. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to live to that blessed month that she lived to and to exemplify that blessed life that she exemplified and that she taught us about the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unite us with our beloved mother Aisha radiallahu anha, the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his blessed companions, and none other than our messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, al-Firdaus al-A'la, Allahumma ameen, jazakumallahu khayra, wa sallallahu wa sallam barak on Nabiya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.